you've got a Bible with you this morning, I'll encourage you to open it up to Matthew chapter 5. And our kiddos are going to head upstairs today. And they're going to study a little bit about Miss Esther. <clears throat> the rest of us are going to jump back into the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, so if you'll flip with me to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, uh, picking up in verse 17, and we'll get to that reading here in just a second. <clears throat> but I want to start by uh, kind of talking about my childhood, reminiscing all the way back to seventh grade. Seventh grade, I can remember walking down the hallways of D.R. Hill Middle School in uh, Lyman, South Carolina. And I can remember walking from my main classroom where I had my core classes to one of my elective classes. Honestly, I can't remember if I was walking to band or if I was walking to art. I'm not sure. They were both on the same hallway. But I remember walking down this hallway. And as I was going down, uh, there were several students in front of me. And laying on the ground in this hallway was a brown piece of like... Um, uh, bulletin board paper, like a roll of it that had been rolled out on the right side of the hallway. It was shoved all the way as far as it could be up against the wall. And some teacher had taken their time to decorate this piece of paper. They, they were turning it into a banner that was going to be up in the hallway. And man, they had just taken their time to do this thing up right. It was beautiful colors and stickers and the whole nine yards. This thing was awesome. But as I watched the, the kids in front of me, I noticed a trend of what was happening with my fellow students. If the banner was on this side of the hallway and the hallway was wider than the room that I have here between the pew and the remembrance table, uh, they were literally, if the banner was here, they could have kind of stepped over here and respected this poster that was on the ground. But instead, every student in front of me walked as close as possible to this poster that they knew if they stepped on it, it was gonna ruin it, or it was gonna make a teacher upset, it was gonna drive somebody crazy, but they got as close to it as possible. And I noticed that. So me being a bright, shining, Christian young man, you know what I did? I followed him, I walked right next to it as close as I possibly could. And I heard a teacher yell from down the hallway, y'all could have walked on the other side. This morning, Jesus is going to speak to us about walking on the other side of the hallway. Because here's what I know to be true about not just kids, but about all of us. If we have a rule, we're always going to see how close to breaking that rule we can get. If you tell a kid, hey, that's hot, don't touch it, what's the first thing they're going to do? Touch it. You tell them, hey, don't look at this, what's the first thing they're going to do? Look at it, but it's not just kids, it's us. We find God's commands and we know God's teachings and we know what he's asking us to do and, and a lot of the times we will do exactly what God has asked us to do but we won't really take it as far as God desires us to take it. We'll just play around with it. We'll just, uh, we'll dance on the line, so to speak. We'll get as close to the fire as we can get without getting burned. 
Jesus this morning addresses that with his disciples. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount for two or three weeks now, and as we jump into this next passage, uh, I'll reiterate something that I said last week, is that we can't zoom so far into the teachings of Jesus in Matthew 5 through 7. We can't zoom into pieces of it and lose the overarching picture of what Jesus is preaching. Uh, We've got to keep in mind that this wasn't just a bullet point sermon that Jesus preached and and we can't pull one piece of it out without considering how it fits into the others. And so we've got to know kind of what's going on in this passage. And so let me just back up for just a moment and remind you of where we've been. Jesus took his disciples to a mountainside. He's been performing some miracles and some healings, and he's gathered quite a crowd that started to follow him. And so Jesus goes up on a mountainside to begin to teach his disciples. Uh, he, he sees the culture shifting, and so he says, hey, I, we gotta sit down, and we gotta kinda, we gotta lay some framework for how this kingdom thing is gonna go. I, I gotta let you know what it looks like to really follow me, because this is gonna look way different than what you've experienced in your Jewish upbringing. And so he begins to lay the groundwork through the Beatitudes, and he he talks about this upside-down kingdom of, man, blessed are the meek, and blessed are the poor in spirit, and he he outlines the job description of what it's gonna look like to follow him. But he also follows that up with, hey, not only is this the job description, but here's the benefits, man. Blessed are the poor in spirit, because, man, theirs is the kingdom. (laughs) It's theirs. And he walks through this, but then he ends that that job description with recognizing the fact that even though we may do our best to follow God, the, the outcome for every one of us as believers is that we will experience persecution. And so he wraps up the Beatitudes with two statements about persecution, and he says, blessed are the persecuted for my name's sake. And he reminds all of us that if we truly follow him, One of the markers of the job description of a believer is that we will experience persecution. Mark it down, bank on it. If you're not experiencing persecution in your life, you're probably not following Jesus closely enough. So then he says, all right, let's talk about that persecution piece and and let's uh, remind us that even though when we get persecuted, our natural reaction is to withdraw. He says, beginning in Matthew chapter five, uh, verse 13, he says, yeah, you'll face this persecution, but don't forget, you are not meant to withdraw. You are meant to press in. You are to be salt and light. You are to be people who proclaim the goodness of God to everyone around you. You are to walk into the darkest of places and shine the good news of Jesus Christ. You are to be the people who create flavor in the world. And as we talked about last week, you remind people of the covenant of God. You draw them in to who God is desiring them to be. And then this week, where we're picking up in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus continues this conversation because in the last verse of what we read last week in 16, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And we pause there because good works is a phrase that we as New Testament believers don't like to talk about because that starts to fringe on legalism and, and, and following the law and didn't Jesus come to abolish the law and didn't Jesus come to do something different and, and, and are we supposed to focus on all of these Old Testament 612 commandments or are we just free to worship Christ? And Jesus says, hey, let's talk about that a minute. Let me help you understand what true righteousness looks like and what true obedience to the law looks like and that's where we're gonna pick up today. Let's read God's word. We're gonna pick up in verse 17. Actually, back up, pick up in verse 16. We'll read that whole verse. 
He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. He makes it pretty clear, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Do you see the stark contrast between the Beatitudes, the blessed are they, and then this, you're going to be called the least in the kingdom. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That is a strong statement. We're going to come back to that. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you, put, uh, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. Verse 27, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries uh, a divorced woman commits adultery. Verse 33, again, you have heard it said, to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for that is the throne of God, or by the earth, because that's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Verse 38, we're almost done. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you uh, and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. Uh, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray over the reading of God's word.
God, I pray this morning you would help us to see what it looks like to walk on the other side of the hallway. To recognize our true goal and aim and what the, what the commands of the law were really about. God, what righteousness is really about. God, I pray that through the study of Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount, God, that you would open our eyes to the fact that maybe, Father, we've been dancing on the line. Maybe we've been walking as close to sin as we can possibly get without really truly thinking about the motivation behind the law and the motivation behind obedience and following you. God, may you convict us where we have fallen short, where we have sinned, and God, may you challenge us uh, to lay that at the altar this morning at your feet and to ask for forgiveness. Father, may you allow us to walk out of these doors a different people, not a people who focus on good works for the sake of doing good works, but that focus on doing the things you've called us to do out of a motivation of love for our Savior. God, let that be our heartbeat this morning. God, would you show us through your word exactly this morning who you're calling us to be. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Jesus makes this statement about let people see your good works. And then he realizes what's come out of his mouth and he realizes who he's standing in front of and he says, hey, let me clarify for a minute what that really looks like. And, and over the next two weeks, this week and, and actually about three weeks from now, we're gonna re-enter back into this, but we'll have this week about this idea of true righteousness and then the, the following Sunday when we get back to the Sermon on the Mount uh, after baptism and Mother's Day, we're gonna circle back around and what we're gonna see in that next passage is that Jesus continues the topic of righteousness, but he takes it into a more personal, private conversation about what real righteousness really looks like in practice. But this morning, he talks about it conceptually. He talks about it from kind of a broad paint stroke way. And, and here's the deal about this section of scripture that we've read. It was long, wasn't it? Some of y'all were looking at me like, when's he gonna be done? That's a long passage. We're gonna be here till 1.30, right? Like, that's a long thing. Jesus speaks a lot. And to be honest, we could. We could break that down into probably about five or six different sermons and preach through uh, what we just read over the course of a month and a half and still not dive deep enough into what Jesus has really described. But I think if we were to do that, we would lose sight of what Jesus is really trying to accomplish in the hearts of his disciples as he stood on that mountainside, on that hillside with them, and he was trying to teach them what the new kingdom was going to look like, what God's kingdom was truly going to be in the New Testament days. And so here's what I want us to see, is I want us to see the, the broad paint stroke here. I want us to see that the big picture of what Jesus is teaching, and it begins with this statement that Jesus made early on here. He says, hey, uh, you know, let your good works be shown before man, and that's great. And then he, he kind of talks about this idea of righteousness for a second, and then he makes a very bold statement. I want you to hear it. He says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you have no hope of heaven. That's a bold statement of Jesus because I don't know if you know much about the scribes and the Pharisees, but let me describe them to you for just a moment. The Pharisees were known as teachers of the law. It was their job to ensure that the people of Israel were following not just the big 10 commandments that we all memorized in Sunday school when we were little, but to follow all 612 Old Testament commandments that were proclaimed to the Jewish people through the Levitical law, through Deuteronomy, and through other Old Testament passages that Moses had written. It was their job to memorize all of that scripture and to be the legal enforcers of God's law. 
They were the ones who, if you were to step aside, this is why uh, later on in Matthew we read that the disciples uh, are breaking an Old Testament law. They quit washing their hands before a meal. And the Pharisees come to Jesus and they try to correct him on it. And they're like, hey, Jesus, um, your disciples are breaking one of these 612 Old Testament deals. You should probably go fix that with your people. That's what the Pharisees did. It was their job to remind people and to proclaim and to enforce these rules. And so Jesus comes to his disciples and he's painting a picture for what the new kingdom is gonna look like. And the first statement he makes with them in this conversation of righteousness is, you better be more righteous than the guys who have the first five books of the Old Testament memorized and who live out all 612 commandments. Anybody feel like they can live up to that? Yeah, me either. I know for a fact I can't. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with that? To hear this word of Jesus, you better be more righteous than these, these Old Testament Pharisees. What do we, how do we live up to that? How do we take Jesus' command to be more righteous than them and live that out? How, do we, how are we to understand that? Well, we don't have to wait very long because Jesus then gave us five examples, which is what we just read. Five examples of what it looks like to allow our righteousness to surpass that of the Pharisees. And so let's look at the pattern. Look with me at Matthew chapter five. Pick up in verse 21. He begins to show his disciples what it looks like to be more righteous than the Pharisees. You'll notice a pattern that goes like this. Verse 21, you have heard that it was said. What is Jesus declaring? The Old Testament command. You've heard it said by the Pharisees that this is the way things were supposed to be. So what did the Pharisees teach them? You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. There's the command. Now we can see that again. Skip with me to verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Skip with me to verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let her give her a certificate of divorce. Verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely. Verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor. Over and over and over again, the pattern begins with, here's what the Pharisees believe. Here's what righteousness looks like to them. Don't commit murder. Don't lust after a woman. Don't break your promises. Right, he keeps going, he gives these examples, and he, he's really just outlining what the Old Testament has taught. But here's what has happened culturally to these people who are now following the Pharisaical, Levitical law. Here's what's began to happen with them, begun to happen with them, is that they have seen the poster on the floor. They have seen, do not murder. And so what do they do? They don't go to this side of the hallway. <laughs> they go, oh, but it's okay to be mad at somebody. It's okay to treat somebody disrespectfully or to, to hate them even. It's okay to call people fools and, and be in, insulting with our language towards people. It's okay that we, we dance on the edge of this poster. God has declared what the law is and the law is beautiful. Jesus says it. He says, I didn't come to abolish it. I came that you'll have a more full understanding of what it means. I didn't come that you would erase even a dot or a tittle of it. You know what that means? That's a Hebrew term for the writing that they used. There, was a little, uh, there were two uh, pieces of the alphabet that they would add that created new letters. They were called a dot and a tittle. It's literally just one stroke of the pen. But that one stroke would completely change the meaning of something. And Jesus says, I didn't come that even one single dot or tittle would be erased. 
I just came that you would understand it. And so he says, hey, you, you don't get it. You've been following these Pharisees who say, hey, don't commit murder, but I can be mad at you. Hey, hey, hey don't, don't commit adultery, but man, you can look, just don't touch. Hey, hey don't divorce anybody, but, uh, but hey, if you're going to, then at least you know, give a certificate of divorce so that everybody knows that it was done legally. He gives all these reasons that we can come up to this line, up to this banner, and we can, we can tiptoe across it. And, and then Jesus says, man, you've missed the point of the law, and therefore your righteousness is invalid. These good works that you think you're doing, they're worthless in the eyes of God. This dancing on the line, this, hey, I, I haven't broken the Big Ten, right? Like, I, I haven't uh, used the Lord's name in vain this week. Man, I didn't swear one time. Like, it was good. And, man, I showed up on Sunday. I remembered the Sabbath day, and I, I kept it holy. And, man, I've kept the Big Ten this week. Congratulations. But the question this morning is, what was your motivation behind that? The question this morning is, why did you do that? Because here's what I'm here to tell you this morning is that motivation changes everything. The heartbeat behind why we do what we do will completely alter the outcome of what we get. Jesus paints this big picture for them. Let's jump back with me to verse 21. He says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But then Jesus brings in the New Testament version of righteousness. But I, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come to fulfill the law for you, let me help you understand what that law really means. I say to you that everyone who is even angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Now, I've got a uh, brother who's three years older than me. And uh, when we were little, especially, it's different now, um, but when we were little, man, we didn't get along, not one bit. Um, he was a jerk. Brad, if you're watching, talking to you. Um, he was just mean. Uh, man, he pushed me around. I was always little. I was always real small, still am, not this size, but this size. Um, I'm little, and, and he would just abuse me, just push me around, and it was just, it was always this, this mean-spirited stuff, and so, man, there were some moments where I sought revenge on my brother. One of those came in the form of that our neighbor came over to our house one time, and he had a little, uh, not a BB gun, but a little pellet gun, and uh, he handed it to me, and he said, hey, you should go shoot something, and my first thought was, Brad, So I loaded the pellet gun, and I pointed it at the back of my brother's head, and I shot him in the back of the head. Yeah, I'm sorry. I had anger in my heart towards my brother, but this isn't just speaking about uh, family relationships from the standpoint of siblings. It's talking about the deeper relationships that we have even as a church family. It says, man, that if you come into this body and you hold some anger in your heart towards somebody else that's in this room right now, we need to pause what we're doing, and we need to go fix that. And what I love about it is Jesus brings in the topic of worship into that too because he talks about bringing that sacrifice to the altar. Keep in mind, Jesus hasn't gone to the cross yet. So these Gentiles and these Jews, specifically the Jews, are still going to the temple and they're still performing sacrifices to worship God with. And Jesus says, hey, that if you've come to the temple to worship God and you remember that you've got some hatred in your heart towards somebody that's in this family, you better just leave your worship there and you better go fix that first. And I wonder this morning how many of us take that seriously. That, man, we harbor some anger or some, some irritation in our hearts towards people. And we would never say it because that becomes church gossip. 
But instead of just dealing with it, we let it just sit and fester. And then we come to worship and we wonder why worship feels dry. We come to worship and we wonder why, man, when we, we try to raise our hands or, or sing a song, it just seems meaningless. Maybe we need to take the words of Jesus seriously and we need to leave our worship here at the altar for a second. We need to go fix something between us and a brother. Then we can come back. Then we can come back. But I'm getting deep in the weeds here, so I want to back up real quick because that's not just the topic that Jesus wants to take us in. Again, we could preach a whole sermon on just that. But Jesus has given a bigger stroke than that. He's given bigger purpose than just, hey, what do we do about anger in our lives? He's saying to us, hey, you, this is the example I'm using. You've heard it said, don't commit murder, but I'm telling you the truth. If you even just hate somebody or if you are, are, are disrespectful, if you're mean to somebody, a brother in the family of God, you've already messed up. And so what Jesus pictures here is this hallway and this, this poster that's on the ground, and he's like, the rule is don't step on the poster. You've heard it said, don't do that. Like, that's just common sense. Don't murder anybody. But I tell you the truth, if this is the rule, we need to be as far away from that as we can get. And the question becomes, how are we doing that in our personal walks with Jesus? Are we dancing on the line of sin? Are we walking with God just close enough? Or have we taken seriously the commands of God and said, God, I wanna, I wanna pursue you. I wanna be where, where you are, God. And if that's sin, I wanna be as far away from it as I can possibly get, not dancing on the line, hoping that I don't go to hell. And motivation will change every bit of that. See, we could walk through the rest of those examples that Jesus gives, but in every single one of them, he gives the exact same pattern. You have heard it said, don't commit murder. You have heard it said, uh, don't commit adultery. You have heard it said, don't break your oaths, but I tell you the truth. If that's the line, get away from it. If that's sin, where's Jesus? That's where I want to be. And he proclaims that to them over and over and over again. But I want to talk about this idea of motivation for just a moment. I've used this example before, but it's just too good not to use again. We talk about this idea of a date. Many of you, if you were to think back to your first date, Mary, where did Walter take you on your first date? Do you remember? No, oh no, Walter. <laughs> How long ago was your first date? 60 something years ago. Man, oh man. 58 was the year or 58 years ago? 1958 was the year. Holy moly. Y'all need to go learn some things from them about marriage. Mary, if Walter showed up to your door, and he had his car detailed. He'd vacuumed it out. He'd washed it. He'd done everything. And, and he showed up, and Mary, he came, and he knocked on your door, and you came to the door all dressed up pretty, makeup done, whole nine yards, and he walked you to the car, opened the door for you, and let you get in and closed the door. And then he took you on the perfect date. I mean, everything you'd ever hoped for. And then you come back from that date, and Walter gets out, opens the door for, me, for you, walks you back up to the door of your home, and uh, it tells you good night at the door, and man, your heart's just melting over what Walter has done for you in that moment, and you're just, oh, just blown away. And Mary, you look at Walter and you say, Walter, why'd you do that for me? And Walter says, well, 
My mama told me to. What just happened? Walter ruined it. That's what happened, Walter. Why? Because the motivation was wrong. Back up, same scenario. Walter shows up, car done, walks to the door, gets you, takes you on this perfect date, brings you back home. You walk back up to the door and you say, Walter, why'd you do this for me? And Walter says, Mary, I love you. And I have listened to you and I know that all these things that we did tonight were, were your favorite things and I wanted you to have just the most absolutely perfect date because I love you and I wanted you to experience that. Now how do we feel about Walter? Good job, Walter. Good job, Walter. So I pat him on the back. Yeah, yeah, He got a kiss that night. That's what happens. Motivation matters. Jesus stands before his disciples on that hillside and he says to them, you've heard it said to commit murder is wrong, but I tell you the truth that to even look at someone with hatred in your heart and not deal with that, man, you've already committed sin and you need to deal with that and not because I just want you to live this righteous and holy life, but because I want you to do it out of the right motivation because here's what happens. Someone who is motivated to obey the law out of religious ritual will walk to the banner and put their toes on it. Somebody who loves Jesus will step to the other side of the hallway and go, man, if that's sin, I don't want to be anywhere near it because I'm not worried about where the line is. I'm worried about where Jesus is. See, motivation matters. Same outcome, right? The Pharisees would have said, man, I never touched the banner, Jesus. I never crossed the line, Jesus. I never did anything wrong, Jesus. Great, you led a self-righteous life because all you were worried about was whether or not you checked off your list that day. But somebody who's truly following Jesus, who's going, man, I don't care about that. I'm not even trying to do that. I just want to be a Mary who sits at Jesus' feet. I just want to be the disciple who follows him wherever he goes. If we want to be that kind of disciple, man, that changes it. Jesus says over and over and over again through these five examples, he says, you've heard it said, don't do this, but I tell you the truth, do it this way. You've heard it said, don't do this. I tell you the truth, do it this way. Why? Not because I want you to be a bunch of mindless rule followers, but because I want you to recognize what the rules are there to do. They are there to direct your heart and your mind towards me. And if you follow me, it's gonna go so much deeper than did you just not kill somebody in your lifetime. Jesus paints with these broad paint strokes again. We could... Spend a week on each one of these. But I don't think there's a need to. I think the need is just simply to ask the question, what's your motivation this morning? Why did you show up to church today? Why did you walk in these doors? Did you come because you knew somebody was gonna call you afterwards and say, hey, missed you at church today? So you came just so you could avoid that phone call? Did you come because that's just what your family has always done and and you've always entered at the same time of the day and you've always come to the same pew and we've always done this and we've always done that. Is that why we came? Did we come out of ritual? Or did we come because we are so madly in love with Jesus? That's just like, I just want one more hour sitting at his feet. I want one more song to sing where I can make his name great. 
I want to I rejoice with my fellow believers one more time. I want to fellowship with them. And if there's anything in me that is against one of them, man, I want to handle that because I don't want anything to hinder my ability to walk in this room and praise the name of my God. Why did you show up this morning? What's the motivation? We can be bare minimum Christians who ask the question, how much can I get away with and still please Christ? Or we can be people who are passionately pursuing him and ask the question, where's Jesus? And I wanna be right there. Where are you this morning? Are you dancing on the line? Or are you passionately following Jesus? There's a big difference. Over the next couple weeks, we're gonna take a break from Matthew chapter five. Next week, we're gonna do some baptisms and I'm excited to do that together and we're gonna have just a great time. It's gonna look a little different, by the way, um, especially for our traditional folks probably who are in the room who've been here and I, I don't use those terms anymore, traditional and casual. I don't wanna separate that anymore. We're all one at this point. It's just an English service. But you might kind of bring still some of that traditional mindset um, of being a little reserved and a little calm. But here's what I believe about baptism. I just wanna kind of set the stage for next week and what that's gonna feel like. Um, here's what I believe about baptism. I believe that scripture teaches us that when one person gives their life to Christ that there's a celebration in heaven and that the angels rejoice. And I believe it's like the Super Bowl going crazy and I think that it's like angels with their shirts off, chest painted and like going crazy. That's what I think is happening. And so I think if we're to rejoice and to join in that celebration, we've gotta be a people who celebrate that way too. And so next week, there's gonna be some, some joy in this room. <laughs> there's gonna be some passion in this room. There's gonna be some excitement. There may or may not be cowbells, fair warning. Why? Not because we want to look like the world, but because we wanna celebrate the way that the angels are celebrating for these people who have given their life to Jesus. And we're gonna do that passionately. So next week, we're gonna celebrate baptism. The following week is Mother's Day, and so we wanna invite all of our mothers to be here, obviously, with your families, and uh, we've got a gift for you that day, and we wanna make sure we recognize you. And then the following week, we're gonna dive right back in to Matthew chapter five, and, uh, and Matthew chapter six, actually, is where we're gonna pick up, but we're gonna see how Jesus takes this picture of righteousness that we've just talked about, of putting our eyes on Jesus, not on the sin. And he's gonna show us what that looks like in practice. He's gonna show us what that looks like in three categories. And we're gonna take three weeks to look at what it looks like to really live out righteousness practically. So come back, be a part of that. I'm looking forward to it. You're also gonna to get to hear uh, from a couple different guys in the course of that over the next couple months. Um, I'm gonna take uh, uh, a Sunday or two over the next couple months and kinda of sit back and we're gonna let a couple other guys come to the pulpit and bring uh, a message for you guys right here in the sermon series. But we've got a couple guys that God has blessed us with that are growing in their talents. And man, we are so excited to walk alongside of them in that journey and uh, we're excited to watch as God uses them. Uh, and so I'm gonna kinda give this seat to them for a day and let them get some practice and some time in. Uh, but these men are talented and gifted and I'm looking forward to hearing God's word through them as well. So uh, man, be, be excited about that. Come be a part of that. But this morning, the question remains, what's your motivation? I wanna pray for you, we're gonna sing a song. I'm wrapping up early, y'all. Jeff, <laughs> Jeff made a comment. 
to, we were with Jeff and Belly yesterday at a graduation ceremony for McKenzie, and we were trying to decide what we were going to do after the graduation, whether or not we were going to go to the rodeo or whether or not we were going to go to the Azalea Festival, is that what it's called, uh, in Pickens, and uh, Jeff was like, you should go to the rodeo because that'll keep you up later, you'll be tired and you won't preach as long tomorrow. <clears throat> Jerk. All right. What's your motivation, Jeff? All right. <laughs> What's your motivation for being here this morning? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the teachings of your son, Jesus. And God, though I have taught this same message, God, though I have proclaimed these same words, God, before, even in this pulpit, God, taught the same passage of scripture. I pray that today you would speak through it, God, through the clarity of your spirit, through the prompting of your spirit, God, that he would sweep across our hearts. And if there's anything in us, God, that doesn't reflect your motivations, that, that is dancing on a line instead of really proclaiming the truth of who you are, God, that is, that is trying to see how far we can get away with it rather than really trying to see how close we can get to Jesus. God, I pray that you would show us that. And God, maybe there's something inside of us that we need to bring to this altar this morning. God, lay at the, the foot of the cross. Maybe there's some anger towards a brother that we need to deal with. Maybe there's been some lust in our lives, God. Maybe we've been just looking at some things and we've fallen into the trap of the world that, that you can look and as long as you don't touch, it's all right. Man, that's, that is hogwash according to scripture. God, maybe there's some purity pieces inside of us that need to be dealt with, but whatever it is, God, whatever line we've been dancing on, Father, I pray this morning you would help us to do business with you. That, that we would come to a place where we would go, God, I don't, I don't wanna walk on the banner. God, I wanna step to the other side of the hallway and I wanna walk with you, not out of just blind obedience to a list of commands, but out of passionate love for my Savior. God, that I would be a different person. That I would make your heart melt the way that Mary's heart would have melted, Father, hearing that response of I love you. God, I pray that, that my actions, that my obedience, that my faithfulness to you makes your heart melt, God. Because I do love you. And I'm here for you, God. Whatever you want from me, let your will be done. I pray that's the same heartbeat of everyone in this room. God, we love you. We praise you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.